The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This podcast is powered by SportString. Your digital water cooler. Welcome in, everybody, to this week's episode of Caught in the Net. I'm your co-host, Dave Severance, along with my uh, partner, Mike Procopio. Sweet Chuck, how are you doing today? Oh, fantastic, Seven. Another day in paradise, my man. Yeah, Sweet Chuck and I got off the court a couple hours ago. Been doing a little pre-draft workout here in Orange County. Beautiful Orange County. I think Sweet Chuck spends more time at Pelican Hill than he does in the gym, but that's okay. As I should. <laughs> yeah, Although absolutely. this... Although this morning I was on the uh, the treadmill 
and I look up across the co- courtyard because I work out at the at the hotel at the uh, apartment. I look into the guy. I think I was in an episode of Friends. I look into the guy's apartment. He's butt ass naked in his kitchen, like making whatever breakfast, whatever the hell he was doing. Yeah. Butt ass naked. So, yeah, that that ugly that, that naked guy. Ugly naked guy. <laughs> uh, ugly guy with clothes on was looking at ugly naked guy because he was in my <laughs> line of sight. That's like straight ahead. Fantastic. So there I am. Hey, we 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 have a really a special guest today. Uh, friend of Mike and I's and we go back with Gannon I I'm gonna say late 90s sweet Chuck 97 98 right around in there when I first met Gannon of course I've heard about him but when I first met him we were doing the Nike All-America camp in Indianapolis so uh, our special guest today really want to thank you Gannon uh, for coming on and uh, we're, we have Gannon Baker here today with us Hey, it's an honor to uh, to be on, man. As I said before, off off the uh, podcast, I should be interviewing you guys, man. What's in what's in y'all's head is priceless. So I'm excited yeah. just to, just to be here, man. Well, we appreciate you taking a few minutes. We just want to kind of kind of get your story a little bit, Gannon. I, you know, for people that don't know, um, you grew up in Hampton. Is that correct? Hampton, Virginia. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, Hampton, Virginia, really good high school player. So talk to us a little about a little bit about growing up and what was it that that made you gravitate towards basketball? Well, man, I appreciate you giving me the platform to uh, tell my story. Hopefully it impacts and uh, and and impresses upon somebody the lessons you need to be to be unique and successful. So I, uh, I grew up only, you know, salt and pepper shaker, man. I was the only white dude on the courts. I gravitated toward the boys club, the King Street, you know, outdoor courts, uh, Hampton High School, Bethel High School, home of Allen Iverson, uh, anywhere I could get a run. I wasn't very good. Started playing at eight. Uh, A friend of mine told me at one time that, you know, again, when you grew up, you were good at all the white boy sports. You know, you were great at swimming. You were great at baseball. You were great at soccer. But you, you were just average in basketball. And so to be great in my area, you know, you had to you had to play at Hampton High or Bethel High School. So I was zoned for Hampton, ended up uh, playing varsity. Um, you know, only white dude on the team started. We won a state championship. We are fortunate enough to beat Grand Hill's team twice my junior, senior year. Um, played for the uh, Hall of Famer, Boo Williams. When, back then, when he, he only had one team. Mm-hmm. So I tried out as an eighth grader, ninth grader, tenth grader, and eleventh uh, grader, man, got cut. Finally made it my senior year. Uh, we only played in two tournaments, Dallas and Vegas. And from that, and, you know, I tribute five-star, you know, going to five-star as a camper playing outdoors between, sure. you know, Boo Boo and, and five-star, a little bit of the state tournament my junior, senior year. I was able to get 31 offers, uh, most of them Division One, and uh, ended up playing at Duquesne and had a good career there. Transferred to UNC Wilmington, um, played uh, for Kevin Eastman, who we all know, and uh, and then uh, played professionally in Iceland, um, had a tryout with the Denver Nuggets, got cut. And, and now when I say tryout, it wasn't like they came after me. It was, you know, my <laughs> well, no, agent got me. In. Yeah, you're not lying. Try, <laughs> you tried out. You tried out. Yeah. 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 So my agent got me a um, an open tryout. They invited 250 people to the tryout. How about this? Jeff Blitzelik, 
was the head coach. Scotty Brooks was the assistant. Adrian Dantley was the assistant. Chip England. I mean, you talk about some some heavy hitters. And so I, I made it as one of the, the final four that they picked out of like 250. Now, Pierre Wooten, who played at Winthrop, who ended up, you know, going to the summer league because they were out, out of the 250, they were picking one guy to go to the summer league and try out. And he ended up making it. He, he said it was 500 people. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if it was 500, but anyway, it was a lot of guys. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough to make it. So I experienced a, about nine days of training camp, made it through a couple cuts, mm-hmm. Carmelo Anthony's rookie year, Chris Anderson, pre-tattoo. Imagine right. that. Yeah. Like he was naked in the sense of no tattoos, man. <laughs> yeah. He was that guy and, you uh, saw, sweet Chuck. What's up? He yeah. Was that, that was guy the guy you saw on the window. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, the extent of my playing career. I ended up breaking my knuckle and, um, they said I wasn't good enough anyway to be put on injury reserve. But hey, you know what? You got some stick. You should you should be a coach. And I was like, well, actually, you know, I had coached college for five years and uh, started my own training business. And so I asked, could I stay, you know, another four days and, um, you know, just take notes and be a fly on the wall. So that's what I did. Where did that you, was the extent where, of my, where, my playing career. What was your first uh, coaching experience, Gannon? Because I, I didn't realize you had coached in college. Where, where did that happen? Yeah, so you know, rewind. Uh, I went a little fast on my timeline. I um after college, I got a, a master's at Hampton University, and so I coached uh, as a GA with um Byron Samuels and uh, Dip Metris, the head coach now at Augusta State. They just went to the national championship. Congratulations, Dip, this year. Uh, I was a GA there, and then I went to Belmont Abbey for two years, mm-hmm. coached there um, with Dip, and then I went to uh, Coastal Carolina for two years and coached with uh, Pete Strickland. Mm-hmm. And I just did not like the 20% of basketball you got back in, you know, the late 90s. So sure. I, I was a college coach from 95 to uh, 99. Okay. And I got I got out of college coaching, and that's when I went to Iceland and started my business part-time and, and then, you know, tried a little bit with the Denver Nuggets a couple years later. But, but yeah, I was, I, was, I was headed to be a college coach, but I just didn't get enough basketball time, you know, yeah. not enough on the court, not enough. You know, I love the scouts. I love the film work. Back then, man, we had VCR tapes. Sure. If you guys remember those, right? We had double deck, triple deck, right? Yeah, so my, I, my, I my first job in my first job in Division One was the video coordinator, and you know, we go tape to tape with everything, as you know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I enjoyed that, but man, most of my job was academic checks, alumni on the road recruiting in the coast of Carolina and Belmont Abbey. Man, we had vans. You know, we didn't have private planes like Calipari, man. You know what I mean? We didn't we didn't have Uber drivers, so we we had yeah. to do it all ourselves, and I just didn't get enough sweat. Yeah, Gannon, did you have Tommy Adams when you were in Hampton? Tommy Adams, yep, at Hampton University, we had Tommy Adams, uh, Devin Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I worked with uh, Tommy a little bit. His agent was a friend of mine, and uh, I worked. He came to Boston a little bit, and I worked him out. Great, great kid, great kid, Man. great guy. Sweet Chuck, you, you got a great memory, man. He does. Yeah. Like that, that's like two decades ago. Hampton University. Like everybody remembers Rick Mahorn. Yeah. But yep. you know, Tommy Adams, hey, man. Yeah, Tommy he's Adams. a good player. Yeah. So yep. so Gannon, so so you you get into your you start your own private private training uh business. Now about a month ago, Sweet Chuck and I did a show and we talked about trainers and the evolution of trainers and really you were the first guy that Sweet Chuck and I had ever heard of 
that kind of did this this private private training business on his own. So talk to us a little bit about how that started and and furthermore how it's changed in the last twenty five years. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say um, I got into it because. Um, I wanted to do something that I loved, not liked. You right. know, I wasn't good enough to continue to play. Um, I had a master's in uh, education, and I didn't want to coach high school and teach. I liked that, but so I just, you know, I read the Purpose Driven Life and did a lot of soul searching with, with with God. And I thought, man, this is what I was meant to do. This is what I was anointed to do. And, and you know, I remember Boo telling me, "Hey, you know." Again, and kids don't work out for free. Why the hell are they going to pay you 30, 40 bucks and you're going to kill them again? You're crazy, man. Your passion will push people away, right? And my parents mm-hmm. said I wasn't smart enough to run a business. You know, I spend more than I make, right? So anyway, you know, 80% of small businesses fail and this is my 21st year. So I, you know, I was right in the sense of, hey, this was my purpose on this earth. Um, you know, I got into it because I just thought there was a need. And um, I actually, I don't think I was the first one to do it. I think Joe Bunazar was kind of doing it at IMG, if I can recall. Dave Hoppla and Joe were the two that I knew that before you started. But like, I mean, obviously you took it to a level that, you know, another level. But I remember those guys did it a little, but you, you know, you had it it rolling there. Yeah. So I just um, tried to fill the need and... My approach was, look, man, I'm just a hired gun. I'm your caddy uh, as far as talking to these assistant coaches and, and, and head coaches in college and high school. How can, how can you use me? You know, I, I worked for free and showed them what my worth was and then trying to try to figure out what the market value was. And um, I wanted to be just somebody in my hometown that people could rely on. I had no, no dreams of going global and you know, videos and all that. I, I just wanted to um, try to make a little bit more than a teacher did and then create a little bit for my retirement and, and try to work as long as I could every day. You know, as you guys know, physical skill development is hard labor. And I just, you know, ended up going global, man. And, and, right. and to this day, I'm, I'm still doing it. So well, I I'd know. like to talk about how to scale it because my knees are killing me right now. I'm almost 50. <laughs> so I, I didn't do a good job trying to figure out how to scale it. I know that. Yeah. Well, I, I know this, Gannon. I've, I've contributed personally to your retirement fund because, you know, <laughs> I, I remember, you know, 20 years ago, I was buying up your DVDs left and right and learned so much from them. Um, well, thank you. So, so, you know, here we are. I, I got a couple of questions for you. I'm sure you've had opportunities to go work with a team, with an NBA team. Why did you turn that down? That's a great question. Uh, I was single and I thought I wanted to do it. So I interviewed with Daryl Morey at Houston. And Well, uh, first of all, hold on, hold on, hold on. He asked you eight questions and everyone's a great question. They're not all fucking great, Gannon. Come on. They're not all great. Let's just be hey, Gannon, uh, welcome, to our, welcome to our podcast, hey, buddy. Sweet Chuck. That's why I love you, man. You know, <laughs> the truth fears no question. Go ahead, bud. Um, I'm just joking. You know, maybe sort it wasn't of. a great question, but I'm honored that he would bring me up as far as an NBA, you know, potential. So that might stroke my ego a little bit. Uh, Daryl, so I wasn't, I didn't. Daryl didn't hire me. Uh, Vinny Del Negro said I was too, um, too over the top in my teaching. He didn't hire me. Um, <laughs> he, he ended up hiring some other guy. Yeah. There you go, man. There you yeah. go. Let's, let's, so, I, I got I had to work on my game. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so that it was it was a blessing because I would have gotten out early because I, I, I know I, I, that's not what I wanted to do. Um, and then a year later, Kevin Eastman uh, actually got me a job with Doc as Tyron Lue's assistant. So I'd have been the assistant to Tyron Lue and kind of worked my way up there. I turned it down uh, just because, you know, I wanted to be able to have time freedom, financial freedom, and just the choice to create my own lifestyle. Nothing wrong with the NBA job, but I, mm-hmm. I wanted to, to be able to teach anybody, not just the team. Um, uh, 2011, Tommy Shepard uh, offered me the job at the Wizards in 2013, and I, and I turned that down. Uh, Scott Drew called me a few times, uh, offered me to interview with him at Baylor, turned that down. Um, I, I just I really enjoy um, traveling and, and trying to help people with um, at all levels, I guess. And sometimes working for a system, sure. you're hand you're handcuffed on what you feel in your spirit you can do. But with me, you know, if I'm in the gym or I'm with the team or I'm with uh, some some individuals, there's so many ways I can go. You know, if I see something that um, in my spirit, I, I get some discernment like, all right, they need this also. So I don't have anybody that I'm accountable to. I can go do that and, and reap the benefits or, or learn from it. But, uh, you know, I guess I, I'm, I'm my own, I'm my own man and I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, that I think is pretty cool with you is, you know, we've all seen your work, whether, whether we bought it or we've seen it online and, and you literally work with boys and girls from like, eight, nine years old, all the way up to NBA guys, and don't lose your enthusiasm um, with any group. I, yeah. I think that's, I think that's pretty special. Well, well thank you for that, uh, you know, compliment. I mean, that, that, that's, I, I take pride in that, you know, because I think if you're a coach, you get excited for the person, you know, not, not the title, not the level. Obviously it's a lot of fun working with a LeBron or, you know, working with a, uh, you know, an NBA elite, a Giannis. But to me, if they have passion and they want to play, I mean, I show up, let's go. And I've always been like that. I think it's a gift. I, don't, I think it's hard to teach. I, I think, you know what, that's that's probably why I'm doing what I'm doing and I haven't gotten um, enticed to, to, to go with the team or go to the NBA um, mm-hmm. and, and try to pursue that. But I, you know, I just enjoy um, – being able and you have to, to probably you probably have to take a big pay cut too, right, Sweet Chuck? Well, you yeah, said that, not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You you said that, not me. But you know, being an entrepreneur, you have financial freedom. There's no ceiling, yeah. Yeah. right? But as you know, you eat what you kill. There's no pension, and um, you know that it you're always on edge. It keeps you it keeps you grinding and it keeps you hungry. Uh, I'm gonna correct you, Dave. I don't work out eight year olds, man. You kidding me? I never had the patience. I only did that if they paid me a lot of money. A lot of money, but I, I try to go 12 and up 12. Okay. You know, uh, some 10, 11 year olds that are mature. Um, I, I worked out a lot of eight year olds in China cause that was my contract and right. You know, but, but I, I, I don't think, you know, to, to any parents listening, I don't think kids under 12 are mature enough, nor do they deserve to be tied into one, one, uh, sport with, with that kind of drive and passion. So like when I work kids out, like they gotta be focused. I, I don't want to cater. I coach. And if I feel they're just doing it recreationally, I tell them, look, we're not working out anymore. Only work with people that want to be as great as they want to be. And, and when I get that reciprocal spirit like that, that's engaging. Because as you know, 
one of the worst jobs in the world is, is coaching a player that doesn't have a motor or passion. And if they're in the NBA, that's oof, to oh, me, the NBA, some of the worst. In the, NBA, in the NBA, people without players, without passion, don't like basketball. The heck you say that that's not, hey, man. not very many of those. You, 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 all, us three know, but you know, there, there's a false perception <laughs> of the public, man. They, they think the NBA, these guys love the game and, and, you know, we, we all need to unveil the curtain a little bit and let the public know what really happens. But anyway, I, 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 some of my worst experiences were with an NBA or WNBA player that just didn't want to work. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just, it just sickening because you, you know, the power and the platform and the responsibility they have and, and they just disrespect it. Yeah. It was funny. Like I remember when I was with Boston first, that that's the first time I met you it was probably Oh three. I think you went to a game in Boston and Kevin Eastman, after a home game introduced me to you and you know, you tell me what you were doing. And that's the first time that I, then that, that summer, I think I saw you at Nike camp and things like that. But I remember working out Paul Pierce and trying to get the idea say, Hey, Paul, like no one's doing like NBA videos to break down a player's footwork. Why don't you do a video on, um, on your footwork? And he, and he goes, yeah, it's a good idea. Let's like look into it first. And God damn it, I look into it, you know, on the computer and there's Gannon Baker. First time I've ever seen you, it's like nine yeah. videos on like NBA players footwork. And there's Paul yeah. Pierce right there. I'm like, Paul, I think somebody beat you to it, man. So we didn't end yeah. up doing it. Paul Pierce series, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul Pierce series. I remember that. I remember yep. that. So, hey, Gannon, cool. talk, can you talk to us uh, about you know, how, the, how it's changed in the last 20 years, our business? that we're in, how, how, how has it changed, you know, for the good or for the worse? How do you see it? Um, the good is there's no excuse for players not to get better. If they do diligence, do their market research, there's somebody in your area or close to it or even online that you can get the answers to what you need. If you struggle with a floater, you can find the answer. If you struggle with confidence, you can find the answer. If you struggle with uh, getting uh, exposure to get a college scholarship, or even find a good AAU team. You know, you can get the answer. So the, the information is out there. What's missing is the application. You know, there's nobody really that teaches these kids how to learn, how to have discipline, how to have time management. Like, there's a ton of coaches teaching them drills, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's enough teachers out there that can teach these players the skills and how to apply it. Uh, as my friend Cody Toppert says, they can go against cones, but there's not a lot of trainers and teachers that are teaching them how to go against bones. And so what's, 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 um, what's changed is the way we used to look at AAU, bad, bad basketball in AAU, it's flipped. And now the trainers are poisoned. The trainers don't have a good reputation because I'll walk in or be around or get messages and, and I'll get this. Are you, are you that kind of trainer? I, I, I've never I, I've heard about y'all trainers. And so we're looked at as money grabbers. We're looked at as narcissistic social media mongrels. And uh, I, I would say the social media, you know, uh, platform has really changed our game for the worse because now players have more distractions and, and, and to go learn what they shouldn't. And so as, when we get in front of them, you know, when you have a good coach, not a trainer, but a coach in front of them, we got to teach them how to unlearn what they've learned. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way to put it. Um, just, some, just some random questions. 
uh, Gannon, for you. Most interesting place you've ever been? Manila, Philippines. Uh, you know what? I, I, I did a camp there with, uh, with Dave Adkins. And, Adkins? Yeah. And, and yeah. you could probably agree that the, the most passionate basketball culture I've ever been around. I mean, I, we're doing the mic in drill, yeah, it's amazing. Right? which is a simple drill. And they're like, the, the, the parents are into it. They circle, right? Yeah. They come to watch practice. And it's not just, hey, there's a foreigner here. It's more than that. They'll come and watch a college team practice. They love the spirit of basketball. You'll go outside and kids are playing, barefoot. right, in the slums. Barefoot. Barefooted. Barefoot. I mean, I mean, you you know the deal, and and yeah. and you, you'll go to jungles of the Philippines and islands of the Philippines, and there'll be, you know, baskets on the trees and tire rims, and and you get you got a good three on three game going on with the tire rim sweet up and no no <laughs> nets, man. Like yeah. like you know, China and the Philippines, they love they love basketball more than anything, and so if you take the just one ounce of the passion some of these countries have and put it into some of our elite players. Now we can impact. Now, now people are getting more out of the game and more for themselves. And you'll see more players being successful. But it's that, you know, I, I, I enjoy it. I marvel at it. And then I just shake my head when I have a kid in front of me that has so much potential but lacks so much passion for learning and growth and development. Mm -hmm. A gratefulness that these countries have for the game. Just the respect, right? Just the awe of, man – how they view America, how they view Europe. And they're just so respectful at, at where we are in this game. And, and, and they bring it, man, they bring it from the, you know, the talk and the, and, and the beginning to the stretching to the end, man. It's, it's really, it's really amazing. Hey, you've spent a lot of time in Europe, I would assume. Um, what do you see uh, trend wise in Europe among, among the Europeans the last few years? Is well, there anything in their development with youth, basketball that they're doing that that we could be doing a better job at well i think they've always had positionless training you know and i think that's just expanded and gotten better because of the resources that that they have that they have online and, and the and the people you know that are that are going over there i mean you know a friend of ours drew hanlon's in ireland right now you know i know you guys have some european trips come I'm, I'm going to greece this summer in germany so uh, China. So wait, when yeah, are you going yeah. to Greece? Uh, September first through seventh. Oh, That's okay. We're going to Athens. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I got to drop um, uh, my my friend's name to you. He used to coach in the Euro League, Demetrius Galantes. So he, he's good. Da knows him. Good guy mm -hmm. over there. Um, but you know, I think with coaches going over there, more tactical. You know, more sets, more innovation, creation um has 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 evolved and and so you know you're getting some really good coaches that are learning how to teach the game learn how to uh you know improve their game management and then uh you know different drills and skills and innovation i mean um back you know i would say 20 years ago when i went to europe you know moves and counters weren't as uh embraced as much from the head coaches they were a little stiff and now I think, you know, moves and counters and the practicing of it with their players are a little bit more accepted. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. 
Let, let, yeah, me, what, ask you all, let, me, let me ask you all a question, man. Sure. Real quick, the kryptonite that you see with uh, college kids going into the NBA right now, what, what's their kryptonite? Where are some things lacking physically and emotionally? Uh, physically, to me, Gannon, the biggest adjustment that they have is, is the defense, um, especially perimeter players. I, I think the biggest physical adjustment that they have is how physical – the defense is the pick and roll game and, you know, getting hit by screen after screen and being able to fight through it. Um, the bigs, you know, have, having to switch out and cover guards more. I think to me, physically, that's, that's the kryptonite for college kids when they come into the NBA. It, it's rare that a college kid can jump right in like Herb Jones or Matisse right. Tybel and be a defender uh, at that level right away. So to me, it's the defensive side and which takes, you know, more time than the offense. I think you you free- no, go ahead, Gannon. I'm sorry. Yeah, real quick. Uh, so how do you work on that in your pre-draft? Is it film? Is it emphasis? Is it particular drills or a combo? I That's a combination of all those things. Yeah, it's, yeah it really is. And in the pre-draft, you know, it's, it's at the most you can do is three on three, as you know. And so, you know, there's going to be a lot of high pick and roll with the corner guy filled, you know, and all that. Um, and, and, you know, they're not going to let you switch in those pre-draft, you know, workouts. So you've got to really work on getting into the ball, getting over the screen, getting used to being hit and trying to recover. Um, so that's that's one thing that you can kind of do to prepare them for that. And, and, you know, film work. Mike does a great job, you know, with the film work with the pre-draft guys, you know, breaking it down as to exactly what they're going to have to look forward to. And I think, Gannon, as you know, like, the biggest issue too, like when we work with, you know, when you work with trainers and you work and look, we're all guilty of it. And they always have the ball in their hands. They always have the ball in their hands. And I noticed when I was in Dallas, you know, as director of player development, when we had young guys come in, it didn't matter if they were at like Youngstown state or Kentucky, they were mostly the LeBron James of their team. They had every play run for them. Everything was going through them. They never really, I mean, everything had to go through them. Now they go to a team, even in Dallas, we weren't very good. We were okay, like from 13 to 19 when I was there. But, like, we would still have Dirk, Harrison, Barnes, Wesley Matthews. So, like, if a rookie even got in the game, you know, in, into the regular rotation, he'd be the fifth option. So he'd be sitting in the corner most of the time. So they're not asked to do anything except make an open shot, straight line drive, and guard people. And they really had a hard time with it because they're used to getting 19 shots a night since they were 11 years old. So I think saying, Hey, look, you got to dominate the simple things and the small things that one skill that's going to get you in a game. And then you sort of build from that. And once you get your, like a a Dorian Finney Smith from Dallas, right. From your neck of the woods, from, from Portsmouth. Yeah. Love him. Love him. I mean, I mean, can't say enough good things about him when he came in, you know, he couldn't shoot but he wanted to work his ass off every day. He would do whatever you ask him to do. Didn't care about getting plays called to him. Didn't care about shots. Didn't care about anything. He wanted to guard people. And I knew his shot was going to get better at some point, but he did whatever you asked to do and it worked his ass off. And he's a warrior. He reminded me of Michael Cooper. I thought from day one, he was going to be Michael Cooper. And I think that's what he is. He's probably a little better than Cooper because of how the game's played today versus how it was played in the eighties. But I think playing without the ball and not being a focal point to these kids is a really big culture shock to them. And that's why most yeah. of them fail, in my opinion. 
Great point. Uh, last question. How do you teach players to be accountable, to listen, to buy in? Because um, I know, you know, without dropping any names, I mean, we're seeing a lot of guys getting dropped in the playoffs, man. And I'm not sure there's a lot of accountability there and a lot of pain, a lot of hurt and just, you know. First, Seb, I didn't know we How do you teach it? I didn't know we were on the Gannon Baker show, by the way. I didn't know we were getting <laughs> flipped on us. Flipped I'm, trying, flipped to, I'm trying to learn, man. I'm trying hey, to learn. Hey, Gannon. I'm, I'm, using, I'm using this as a, as, a, as a brainstorm session, man. Gannon, I got, I got two words for you that can, that can help explain that. Not totally, but can help explain what you're talking about. And those two words are guaranteed contracts. Yeah. Yeah. For, look, you don't, yeah. you don't see me. You don't see many guys tapping out in the NFL. Those dudes play hurt. Yeah, because Preach, you man. know next Sunday they could be cut. Yeah, reach. Yeah, again, my someone told me actually Dorian Finney-Smith, age um, first agent, told me a, a a statement that made a lot of sense and, and be like, look, like there's only there's about eighty percent of the game's role players, right? It's not like featured players. I mean, there's 610 NBA players, 450 and 60 roster, uh, 62 way players, and only about 105 to 110 get 10 shots or more a game. So, like, that means 80% of the league has to do other things. And you talk to them about it and say, look, this game's moving on with or without you. So, if you want to, like, the biggest thing for them to do is here's a statement. And if I was talking to you, I'd say, again, and look, your career is going to go in five stages. Who's Gannon Baker? Get me, um, keep an eye on Gannon Baker. Get me Gannon Baker. Get me Gannon Baker type. And who's Gannon Baker? So at some point, you're going to get to that who's Gannon Baker part, right? And like from all my years with Kobe, I didn't come at it where like I want to teach every player to play like Kobe and tell Kobe stories all day. But the one thing that I could take to every player from being around Kobe is his preparation. You know, like the 90, like he was always early to everything. He worked on his game. He worked on his body. His diet was impeccable. You know, he allowed himself to be coached. He watched film. He knew his playbook. He knew his team, his, his opponent's playbook. And he allowed himself to be coached. And all those years, even in the, in the years where they were going down a little bit with Phil, you know, in like 2011 or so, he never, he, he never bitched about coaching. He was like, somebody, if you talk to him, and you say, look, you're not doing this. You need to be doing this. He's okay with it. But when you're talking to players at all levels, it's all about, my opinion, being a pro. And the pro has nothing to do with money. It's about doing the winning things daily, regardless of how you're playing, how your team's doing, and how you're feeling. And if you can do that every day, if you could get your skill work in, get your you know, weights in, your diet, your you know, watching film, be coachable. You know, know, be prepared with your playbook, you know, your, your offensive playbook and all things. Know what you have to, be, you know, know what your responsibility and your role is. You have a chance to be successful. And if you don't, someone else is going to do it. I remember we had first round picks. It's probably why I don't have a job anymore. We would have first round picks that would be soft, right? That would be soft. It was like, didn't want to work out, didn't want to compete. I said, dude, I, I pulled one aside. You know, God honest truth. I said, look. I'm just going to be honest with you. You're probably going to get traded by next draft. I'm just going to tell you. Like, 
No one's told me anything, but I've seen this story a thousand times. Like watching The Godfather. I know every fucking line. This is how it's going to happen for you. You're going to get traded by deadline. God damn it. He got traded on, de- on, on, he got traded on the draft. The next draft, he got traded. And it helped him because now he's one of the better players in Europe because of the fact that he didn't do, he wasn't ready for the NBA when he got there. He didn't, he wasn't ready for the day to day what he really needed to do, but you have to be honest with him. Like you can't just say, Oh yeah. You know, like, okay, we'll work you out an hour, an hour a day. And then I'll see you tomorrow. That's not development. Like it's the workout. It's the feedback. It's texting at night. It's calling them. It's taking them out to eat. It's giving them instant feedback of where they think they are. And yeah, that's accountability. And I think the best thing you can do as a head coach for accountability is use the bench. Sit their ass on the bench. But yeah. unfortunately, unlike when you were playing and I was growing up, like ADs don't support your coaches anymore. It's if, right. if, if, if the parent comes up and says, why little Johnny ain't playing enough, I need to get coach fired. Instead of telling, you know, telling the, uh, telling the parent to kick rocks, they say, all right, you know, we're going to get on that. And then they reprimand the coach. But I think the best thing you can do for accountability is use the bench. It doesn't matter if it's the best player or the 15th best yeah. player. Yeah, thank you. I'm always looking for nuggets. I, I, I mentor a lot of coaches. And, and what I'm hearing is and obviously seeing is kids have so many guaranteed choices, Dave. Like they can go transfer to this school. They're getting money, you know, and gear from this organization. So it's, it's just helping coaches continue to, to speak the truth without breaking hearts, keep keeping that relationship. That's one of the hardest things that I feel right now coaches are dealing with is how to connect and, and keep that buy-in. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. And, and, you know, with college coaches having to go through what they're going through now with the portal and, and you know, I think we're going to see more and more guys do like Jay Wright did and just, you know, walk away from it. Um, yeah, NFTs. Yeah, unbelievable, and all that yeah. stuff and the NILs and all that. Um, I would I would buy y'all's NFTs though, man. Y'all should get one, man. I don't even know what that is. I gotta be honest. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I I don't understand it. Is what I know. <laughs> I barely understand crypto. I don't know what an <laughs> NFT is. It's similar. It's okay. similar, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. Again, just re- real quick, you worked with a lot of uh, high level NBA guys. Who are you know n- not to uh, exclude anybody, but who are some of the your more favorite guys that you've worked with? Well, um, I, I guess because he's recent, but Terry Rozier, mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, the unbelievable story, uh, the passion, the, the work ethic uh, allow, allows information to, to soak in, ask good questions. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys know, I lived with Amari Stoudemire for three years and just his, his joy for the game, man. Yeah. I mean, he just he never had a bad day. Tremendous list. I remember one time um, we were working out in the Suns Arena. It was back in 2009 or 10. Terry Porter came on the floor. Back then, you know, trainers, they, they just, we, were, we were like outlaws. Like, they didn't wow. allow us to, you know. And I was like, Amari, man, like, you know, let's work out at a high school. I don't want to cause any drama. He's like, no, nah, I got you. And so Terry Porter comes in and he he says, hey, why are y'all working on picking and popping and mid-post moves? We want Amari to be rolling and dunking. You know, and um, Amari said, well, coach, I'm keeping this in my back pocket. 
I said, I'm working mm-hmm. on my game, coach. Isn't that what you wanted? Instead of like cursing and yelling and calling, you know, he's like, Gannon's working hard for me, coach. You know, we're working on that too. It was just the ultimate respect that he had, you know, and, and, and the, just the disposition, you know, um, Chris Paul in college and I had him in college and in and, and high school, um, just the intelligence at such a young age and the ability to, to not really have a weakness. Like there was nothing he couldn't do in a workout. Um, Except going Harrison, <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, you had him a lot more than well, me, but I, I, you know, uh, yep. Um, he got better you know, at Harrison, that even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and then when you play one-on-one, even back then, man, in early college and senior year in high school, like he would, I mean, he would just try to rip you, man. He, he would talk junk. He would, he would yell at you as a coach respectfully for not, I mean, he just had a tremendous killer instinct that I'm not sure I've, I ever seen, um, a, 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 again from a guy. I mean, there, there's a lot of pretend killers, but he was a real one. Um, and, and I, you know, you guys know I've worked with a lot of WNBA girls. I mean, Maya Moore, like mm-hmm. the, you talk about uh, coming early, staying late, taking notes, asking questions, not being afraid to challenge you, um, staying in a drill uh, until she got 10 in a row, um, thanking, you know, asking, hey, does your family need anything? I- I'm here all week. Do-, do you need anything? Like the humility uh, of Maya Moore, who's the GOAT, I think, in women's basketball. Um, she's probably uh, up there as well. Mm-hmm. And then a, a last player you guys have never heard of, Rodney Clark. Remember Rodney Clark played at wow. Arkansas, McDonald's All-American, played a Butler, two-time MVP in Australia. Worked so hard, probably the hardest working player I've had. I mean, you know, obviously Kobe, a lot of players have worked hard, but this this guy to me is one of the hardest I've ever had. And, and he would work so hard his feet would bleed. Wow. 5'10", white kid. Wow. Just uh, uh, unbelievable. Wrap his feet up in, in, in cloth and, and keep going. Uh, he wanted to do three a days. Um, Rodney Clark, Google him. Tremendous, tremendous young man. Rodney Clark. Hey, one thing I've always wanted to ask you again, and this is kind of off the wall, you know, and I, watching you teach and watching all your videos and you demonstrate, when you were growing up and playing in college, did you shoot right-handed or left-handed? Yeah. Both. Well, Both. You know, <laughs> I, I was I amphibious. Tell. I was amphibious. Oh, amphibious. I could, yeah. I could breathe in and out of water too. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. You know, twelve years. <laughs> Mike. Mike thought I was serious. Like, man, Gannis getting seen now. He's getting. 50 <laughs> no, because I, I thought I was I, serious. No, no, no. I remember at LeBron Skill Academy, you were you would always have your headphones in and getting work in. Yeah. And th- I said, yeah. I remember going to. I said, this fucking guy shooting lefty. Is he all right? Yeah. Like, I, I didn't know. I, I couldn't right figure it. out which one you were. Yeah. Yeah. No, I um. You know, 12 years old, broke my right hand. And so I was a gym rat, started working out left-handed two months later. It just absorbed into it. And, um, you know, that's how I played. I went left, left, right, right. And, you know, whatever hand they didn't have, that's what the space I would use. I wasn't that quick. So, I, yeah, being six foot and white, man, to get a Division One scholarship, that's – you got a .001% chance to make it, Dave, and, and sweet. I had to have some 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 weapons, man. So my uh, – my, you know – so I was able to, you know, as John Lucas said, I wasn't crippled. You know, I could go both ways and, and shoot both ways. So it, it's something that I did. Uh, Dean Smith offered me a walk-on spot, right, at North Carolina. And he said, look, if you, yeah, man, I went to his camp two years in a row and 
him and Roy Williams sat me down and said, look, you're good, but you're not that good. We'd love you to walk on. And um, he said, but if you come here, you got to pick a hand. And then, <laughs> that's why you yeah, didn't go. And then, that's why you didn't go. That's, that's why, why you went go. to Hampton. Yeah, hey, yeah, hey, talk to, hey, talk to this hand, all right? And then get the hell out yeah, of here. Yeah, <laughs> So, uh, and then I played for Jerry Wainwright one year at UNC Wilmington. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, great dude. Great dude. So, Jerry Wainwright made me shoot with my left hand the whole year. I was so mad. (laughs) I was so mad, man. So, Oh, he's getting the hook. He's getting the hook, Seth. He got the hook. It's time to go. He was like this. Got the hook. It's my son, Cal. It's going to be the – Let's go. This is going to be – No, he he doesn't love basketball. He likes – He's going to be the next Austin Matthews, man. He's a ice hockey player. I love there it. There you go. So, there you awesome. go. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta take him to ice hockey, man. Listen, we're we're gonna let you run, but you know, Sweet Chuck and I really appreciate you coming on and talking hoops with us, and you're My always pleasure. welcome to come on. And, and by the way, by the way, the <laughs> favorite thing ever, two things from Gannon Baker was the best. A was seeing him at Nike camp carrying yeah. the FedEx packages. With those yeah. long ass oars uh, and, and camp, I've never seen that before. Yeah. And the second, when he had that A to Z video, and he had a breakdown of the Ira Newbull move, I didn't even think Ira Newbull <laughs> moved. I didn't think he even moved, and, and hence have a move. But he did it. He's, he's the best. Ira Newbull. That's that Ira is Newbull. depth and deep. That is market research right there, Dave. Man, he he's he's a he is a great partner, brother. Like. You should you should work you should work for the IRS or the FBI, man. If you remember that, I I, 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 I remember <laughs> Encyclopedia of Pro Moves. I got it. Yeah. I got the DVD. A to I, Z. I, I, could, a to I mean, Z. I, 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 I who'd, you get, who'd you get for Z? Is Elgunas Zeldrowskis? Man, you gotta ask ask Mike. I, I'm gonna go back and look now. Y'all got Larry Ziegfried? Get that ba- <laughs> Zion <laughs> Williams. Get that beta, get that beta player out and, and play the tape. Oh, <laughs> oh man, man. Hey, Gannon, we appreciate, appreciate you coming on, man. Man, I'm I'm humbled. Y'all would even think of me. You could have any anybody in the world. And man, thank wow. you, man. It, it was fun. I hope I didn't mess it up. But um, no, no, you guys no. keep keep reaching and teaching, man. The game needs you guys. So thank keep you it up. so much, Gannon. All right, Gannon, appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. All right, all right. Keep later. getting after it. See you. Thank you. Later. See ya. Later. Uh, that was good. Well, sweet Chuck, that was really good. Uh, hey, by the way, you know, Gan has been one of our favorite guys throughout the years. No doubt. Are you going to do your green thing or anything? Yeah, of course. We, you know, we have to. We have to finish up. You know, because this week's episode of Caught in the Net, Sweet Chuck, is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is the newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection with sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate our favorite team. Remember this, sweet Chuck, a rising tide lifts all boats. So go check them out online or social. And the guys at Sports Drink are having a good week. They're, they're based down there in New Orleans. You know, New Orleans knocked off my clips a couple of weeks ago. And now, now they're, what is it, two to two going back to Phoenix. And so they're feeling, feeling pretty good down there in New Orleans about their team. Yeah, well, I wouldn't feel good about anything else in New Orleans. That place is fucking hard, hard to walk on the streets. <laughs> you need, hey, hey, New Orleans is the only places when you're trying to get an Uber. Sail Team Six armored vehicle is one of the options. 
Oh, well, any final thoughts today, Sweet Chuck, before we wrap up? Nah, I got no thoughts, Seb. What do you got, anything? I, I got nothing. I, I'm looking at the ocean right now. I'll probably go down for a little bit, Sweet Chuck, and uh, I'll see you in a couple of days. Yeah, the only thought I have is that fucking naked fat guy I had to look at this photo <laughs> while I was trying to get that, get, you know, get that fucking treadmill working. Oh. Okay, well, thanks, everybody. Until next week, uh, you've been caught in the net. Later.